0: to Co-op Energy Talk. I'm Rachel Johnson, the Member Relations Manager here at Cherryland Electric Cooperative, and I'm sitting here right now on March 1st, 2021, and the big news of note in energy in February was the massive power outages across the southern part of the U.S. with Texas being hit quite hard. So as Texas saw uh, historically low temperatures, um, left more than 30 people dead in a, a massive winter storm, it also also ended up at, at its peak, about 4 million people in Texas were without power. Originally, they were told they were a part of rolling blackouts that would last for 45 minutes or less, but many of them were without power for days. It had an impact on uh, water systems and water pressure. It had impact on other energy infrastructure systems and uh, there's a at this point, in, at this moment in time a lot of people who are interested in trying to figure out what went wrong. And so uh, even though we're not in Texas, we've been watching this very closely here in Michigan and trying to make sure that we learn whatever lessons there are to be learned from this experience. And so Tony and I sat down and had a just a, a good discussion about what we know about the Texas grid and how it operates, what vulnerabilities we see in the way that they operate, and how we can take those lessons and make sure that when it comes to providing power to Michigan's residents, we are always ready and that we always have enough to meet our members' needs. So listen in as Tony and I talk about, uh, talk about what happened in Texas. So, I mean, I think all of us in energy, and actually most people around the country, kind of have energy on top of mind right now, as we've been watching the things unfold in Texas. It's it's just always interesting. I think of how many friends I have who never think about what we do at all, but this has certainly kind of brought it to the forefront. So I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk through kind of what happened in Texas and and what we can learn from it and and what you know kind of what what really went down. So let's let's start by talking about just kind of some context of the the weather issues that happened. Kind of an un unprecedented weather event in Texas.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They, they broke some uh, records that were 100 years old. So it was weather that they hadn't anticipated. And uh, even if they prepared for it, it was worse than anything that they prepared for. So mm-hmm. they, they were just caught totally off guard by the weather.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And albeit it was predicted, but it, it was... Worse than the predictions, you know, so you can say, well, you can look at the weather forecast, they should have been ready. Yeah, but it it was worse than the forecast.
0: Well, and it was, I mean, you think about even with the forecast, I'd read somewhere that they had in some parts of the state, they were well below zero, like negative 18 degrees. Well, that's not Texas, Mm -hmm. like that never happens. And I think it lasted maybe a little longer than what they expected. So it's one thing to get, you know, in an area like that, maybe like a really brief but quick cold snap, but to have it to go on for days and days, that takes what might have otherwise been a shock event to your electric system and it turns it into kind of like a long term shock event. Um,
1: mm-hmm. The one, Austin, the temperature in Austin, Texas was below freezing for 144 consecutive hours. Yeah, see that's, uh, an that's all, crazy, an all-time record for that community.
0: Mm-hmm. So to kind of set the scene, we're gonna. I think one of the things we need to really talk about is the the grid operator in Texas. But just to kind of make sure that everyone who's listening has the same context we have. Um, at its peak, about 4 million people in Texas lost power. And mm-hmm. uh, as as um, the, the acronym is ERCOT, it stands for Electric Reliability Council of Texas, as they started seeing the amount of usage go up, we'll talk about some of the complexities they had with the availability of generating resources, but as that usage started to go up, they they initially said early Monday morning we're probably going to have some rolling blackouts in the 45-minute range type of thing. So we'll roll you off for 45 minutes, turn you back on, move to the next neighborhood. They'll go off for 45 minutes, turn you back on kind of a thing. And then obviously that just uh, – that situation changed really quickly, and you ended up with people who were out for quite some time. So let's start by talking about ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. Can you, can you explain to those of us up here in Michigan – who ERCOT is and what they do.
1: Yeah, they're essentially the manager of the grid. Texas is, a, is an island of a, a electric grid island, if you will. And ERCOT manages all the generation on that island. And um, they are overseen by the Texas Public Utilities Commission, as well as the legislature. So a lot of blame has been put on ERCOT as the manager of the grid, but the oversight and the policies are all, that's all on the state legislature and the Public Utilities Commission of Texas. And in Michigan, we call it the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator. And our grid, our Michigan grid is 15 states, so not an island. So two different situations between Michigan and Texas.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think another thing that makes uh, us, so in addition to us having connectivity across various states, which gives us access to generating resources across various states, another big difference between our power grid here in Michigan and their power grid there is that they're a fully deregulated power grid. Can you explain what that means?
1: That means that a lot of the customers have choice and a lot of the customers uh, take prices from the market. So when, when the market is down, they have low electricity. When the market goes up, they they pay for the high market costs. And that's what you, some of the stories people have heard. Uh, high demand, low supply, the, the cost of power went up. And in a deregulated market, somebody has to pay for that. And it's the people who are using electricity. Um, in, a, in a sad way, it, it was probably to your benefit to be off because you weren't racking up six hundred dollar bills a day for, for electricity.
0: Yeah, and I wanna I definitely wanna talk about that because I think it's interesting kind of as this was starting early on and we're talking about kind of those that first day, day and a half, two days, most people's big concern was the fact that power was off, right? You have people it's freezing, people don't have electricity, mm-hmm. it it kind of morphs from there into people don't have access to water. And then obviously now, a week later we know that the the big story of the day is is certainly the cost. But mm-hmm. um, I found something online that said that something like sixty percent of Texas's electric customers uh, have are, are choosing right. So they 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 don't have an incumbent utility. They're choosing their power provider, and to your point, that allows them to price shop. But the funny thing about price shopping is sometimes it's to your advantage, and then sometimes, as, as we're learning, it's it's not. And then mm-hmm. the other thing I, th- if I'm understanding it correctly, with Texas's grid is you kind of here we have a lot of vertical utilities as well. So you, where you have kind of people who own the generation also sell it to the 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 end consumer right whereas in texas the generation is owned by certain companies the transmission is owned by certain companies the sale to the customer might happen by a completely different company so you have a lot of different players in that system all trying to make it work together and ERCOT's the one that kind of tries to to make sure Mm -hmm. everything everything they're all trying to
1: make money in that system too which has led to that well, one of the reasons for that deregulated market, there's more opportunity for profit when when the market goes up mm-hmm. that we don't see in Michigan because we are not deregulated mm-hmm. to, to that level.
0: Yep, yeah, we kind of we absor- we absorb that and balance out all that risk. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: you have um, a, a very different kind of. Uh, electric system than what we have here in Michigan. Lots of different players, a lot of people choosing their power suppliers. You have ERCOT, which is not regionally connected. Um, Another interesting thing about that is that because they don't sell, because they don't operate across state lines, they're not federally regulated. So that's another difference between Texas and Michigan. So can you talk through kind of where Texans get their power from in terms of power supply sources and and how that played into what happened
1: uh, in February? Yeah, they actually they get it from all the, all the sources they have nuclear they have coal they have hydro they have solar and they have wind and every source of power had, had a problem texas texas peaks in the summertime so they they do a lot uh, they need a lot of generation in the summertime mm-hmm. is my phone a problem <laughs>
0: that's okay we we're we're, we're... we're, we're
1: can we cut this?
0: Welcome to the new normal. We're not I, in, for all our listeners okay. out there. We're not actually in studio together. We're right. we're we're Zoom podcasting. So
1: yeah, okay. I, I apologize for that. Uh, where was I? All all the fuels were in play. Okay, Texas peaks in the summertime. So they they had uh, at least one or two nuclear plants down for maintenance to get ready for the summer peak. They had some coal plants down for maintenance to get ready for the summer peak. And then their natural gas plants weren't, aren't hardened to the cold weather. Natural gas lines froze up, natural gas couldn't operate. Solar was obviously covered in snow, anywhere from an inch to seven inches, depending on where you were at in Texas. And then the wind uh, froze up, a a portion of the wind froze up. Now, a a lot of the reports, uh, depending on what news station you listen to, they're going to put the blame on the renewables. That's wrong. The the other station is going to put the blame on the fossil fuels. That's wrong. It was all of the above. They they all had issues in the cold because they're not hardened to the cold like we are in Michigan. In in reality, or at least in my reality, nuclear saved the day because 73% of their nuclear capacity operated through the polar vortex. So very little was off. About half of the natural gas, I believe, was on. About half of the coal was on. Uh, hydro was at 18% capacity, Wind and wind, solar was at zero and wind was at 2%. Well, you can say, well, you can you put a lot of blame on wind and solar. But in reality, they don't get a lot of wind in, in February, so they couldn't rely a lot on wind. And obviously, with snow, you couldn't rely on solar. So uh, there's just no real place to put the blame. We, we've talked about it on this podcast over and over again for years that it's, there is a one silver bullet for power supply and everybody's trying to put the blame into one source of power and you just can't do that. During this uh, Texas event, every source of power supply had an issue of some kind, some more than others.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, the best kind of analogy I can think of is like, you know, just every once in a while you have one of those days where you're like, literally everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. Like, why is it that when I leave my house a little bit late, I get stuck behind a front loader going, you know, five miles an hour and I'm on my way to the most important meeting of my life and, you know, and I spill my coffee on my lap. Like just everything that could go wrong went wrong all at once. So you have these historic low temperatures, which I I was going to put some numbers to the, not to the temperatures, but to what it did to their um, electric needs. Their usage peaked in Texas at 69 gigawatts of need for electricity, which is higher than it's ever been. And to to give you a little perspective on that number, at that exact same time, they had lost over 50% of their generating uh, capacity. So they had lost 45 gigawatts of generating capacity at the same time that they were um, looking at about 69 gigawatts of electric demand it it's almost impossible to think of how to start filling those kinds of gaps and to your point yeah you need all of the sources to work and every source that was designed as a backup for a different source failed
1: mm-hmm. yeah and, and that demand was about 10 to 15 percent higher than what they had planned for and predicted mm-hmm. and, um, and about half half the generation was down mm-hmm. in in total mm-hmm. so they were trying to serve uh an excess of peak with half the generation, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, it was not obviously not good.
0: And to your point, their their nuclear facilities didn't fail. They did have some nuclear offline for for planned maintenance. And the one thing with nuclear, we've said this before, it's not something you fire up and fire down fast. And so right. when you take it offline for maintenance, that is that is uh, that is an event, right? That you plan for, and then you plan for when, how you're going to bring it back on. But one thing I think is worth noting with their natural gas facilities, because I think it's an important thing that people don't realize is a a different between natural gas and coal. Coal, you can store a certain amount of coal on site at a coal plant. Mm -hmm. So let's say we ran into a supply chain issue with coal. We might still have two weeks of coal sitting in a pile at our coal plant, which could help keep that coal plant running to overcome a supply chain issue. Natural gas isn't like that. It's generally on demand supply. And in Texas, they don't have access to a lot of storage for natural gas because they've never needed to. They pull it right out of the ground. But as they started to have issues pumping natural gas out of the ground, they, they, they essentially had a, a natural gas supply chain issue. That is something mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't kind of, who aren't in the industry don't see or think about when we think about replacing coal with natural gas or replacing coal and nuclear with natural gas. Correct.
1: Correct.
0: Um, so all these things went wrong. You have this massive demand for electricity. You have a lot of people who don't have power at all. Some people still have power. Let's talk about the pricing thing. All of a sudden, the story now is I was just, I mean, and and you can you can throw a dart and find a hundred of these stories, right? People getting seven thousand dollar electric bills, mm-hmm. ten thousand dollar electric bills. What happened?
1: Well, the, it's what we've been talking about. The demand went up, and there was no supply, so the price the price went up by multiples of ten and twenty and hundreds of percent. And so they, they ran up billions of dollars of bills. And uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the generators are talking about how not passing that on to the end use customer immediately, but how do they spread that over a period of years? So that's the bigger question uh, in Texas uh, is how do they pay for it? Uh, and how do they spread that out over a period of time? Brazos Electric Power Cooperative, a GNT that serves 16 of the 70 some co-ops in Texas, just today filed for bankruptcy because they have $1.6 billion in uh, bills that they got to try to take care of. And that's an unforeseen, uh, unheard of event in our industry for a, a power supply cooperative to uh, file bankruptcy. So it's mm-hmm costs are in the billions and they're staggering. And Texas just now is, as we talk and speak is trying to figure out how to deal with that.
0: Mm-hmm. And and there's, um, you know, a lot of chatter about will there, will there be a legislative intervention in that in order to provide some sort of a relief package, but you're still talking about just enormous numbers. And some of these mm-hmm. initial stories we were hearing were stories of customers who are are on that deregulated market, right? So they're buying from some choice supplier who their cost went up, they passed it right through. I I think the the big one that they just booted out of Texas because of all this gritty or something like that it's called. Um, And then you have people who are served by your more traditional utilities like electric cooperatives. It doesn't change the fact, even if the bill didn't come directly to the customer yet. Every customer in Texas, somewhere behind the electricity that went into their home is a very large bill that they have to figure out how to manage, right. whether it's legislatively or by spreading it out over time.
1: Yeah. And, and to ask the rest of the com- com- country to bail them out, um, that, that tears me apart a little bit because they chose this system. You know that they, ERCOT was formed in 1970. Uh, Texas became an island decades ago and have been operating this way and taking advantage of the system. And now in one of the times, there's been a number of other times in their history where they haven't, it hasn't gone well, but this is the worst. And now they want everybody to bail them out. I'm like, "Ah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. How how is that right? Because it, it is the market you chose, this market you've been proud of for the last 50 years. And now it didn't work for you. And now you want me to pay you? pay that through taxes or some tax break. I'm I'm struggling with that today as much as I don't want people to go bankrupt. I'm like, I don't know. That's a tough one I got to figure out.
0: Yeah. I think you never want the the lesson to be quite as stark as it is in this example. But it's kind of like the other side of the, the both sides of the coin. So again, everybody loves to be in this deregulated market when someone's passing through really great savings, really cheap power supply, right? Abundance of wind in Texas, really low fuel cost for wind, well, zero fuel cost for wind. So they're passing that through. People are paying $30 electric bills in February and they're happy. That's great <laughs> until it's not great. And when you, when you have that relationship with your power supplier where they're just basically passing through their cost and taking a little profit off the top, that means they're not absorbing the risk for you. Whereas when you are served by an incumbent utility like Cherryland does for our members through Wolverine, we do take on the risk for our members, which would put us more likely to be in the position you described with a, a, an entity like Brazos saying, hey— we're going to push this out over 10 years, 15 years as a surcharge on the bill. We'll absorb the risk and figure out how to make that work. But the, A lot of customers, in, in, well, six, at least 60 percent apparently in Texas, don't have that same protection of having a, an incumbent utility to absorb the risk for them.
1: But then then you look at the history and, and look at 2011 was one of the times where they had major problems with this situation, too. In 2011, 193 generators were off and they had to shed 4,000 megawatts of load, and the 2011 outage lasted seven and a half hours. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to 2021, 356 generators were offline, and they had to shed 20,000 megawatts, five times the load, and the outage in 2021 lasted over 70 hours, so almost 10 times. So there is an argument to be made that this is 10 times as bad as it's ever been in Texas, and and maybe that's why they need some relief. It's like a storm in Louisiana or other parts of the country. We all help those people. Maybe that's maybe I'm making my argument to <laughs> to help them out because it's 10 times worse than they've ever seen.
0: So one of the things I've heard and I don't know if there's any truth to this, so I'd be interested to hear your opinion on it is that in a in a more deregulated market electric suppliers don't have any incentive to build capacity to serve customers. And because they can just buy, you know, they're basically just buying and selling kilowatt hours on a market. And, and so mm-hmm. you distance, you disincentivize people to actually own stuff, upgrade stuff, invest in stuff, kind of a thing. Right. T- to what extent is that a part of this? I mean, I know we're trying not to point fingers and be very fair here, yeah. but.
1: It's a player in it because there is no incentive to have backup power in, in our grid and, in the MISO grid and our neighbor neighboring grid to the east, PGM, there's capacity markets where essentially a utility says, I have X number of capacity, pay me, and I'll keep it in reserve if you need it. You know, it might be a small gas plant or uh, that's typically what it is. In Texas, the, there's no incentive for that. They, they've used the market as the incentive. They have said when uh, supply exceeds demand and the market goes up, that's the incentive for people to have generation available to make money in times like the polar vortex well when you don't have a lot of those times over a period of years there's no incentive to build those backup plants they're building plants that they want in the market every day so they can make money every day they're not building a small gas plant to take advantage of one or two times during the year or one or two times every five years so there's really is a disincentive in the texas market to build backup power um, we don't have that here, the, the argument could be made. We're paying a little more for our electricity because of that. And uh, I, we are, but that, that's the way we choose to do it. It's like insurance. You can go without insurance or you can travel the country with insurance. And we all make those choices with our cars and, and traveling as it is. And sometimes you have to cash that policy in. So We have a policy in place. Texas didn't have a policy in place.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've kind of and been moving around this, but I'm I'm just going to ask this kind of straight to you: Will this happen in Michigan? Should we Should we I, be concerned about an event like this or a situation like this in Michigan?
1: Not at this time. Um, I've, I've talked about it before. I've written about it before. As long as we keep building some natural gas or building new solar, new wind. Uh, to to keep up with the demand, we're going to be okay. Michigan's problem is when when we start shutting down coal plants, retiring gas plants, retiring nuclear plants, as we continue to grow in this 15 state region, it's a math game. At some point, the the usage, the the demand for energy is going to exceed your capacity to generate, and that's that's where our grid has to watch those numbers. Those numbers. During peak times, we, we've come close. We call them max gen events where we're getting close to max maximum generation. We've never had to shut anybody off in my 15 years here, but we've, we're getting closer. But I, I think as long as we keep building stuff, we're okay. Yeah. But if we if we want to celebrate shutting off coal plants and not ask what's replacing that coal plant, uh, we we could have run a prop run into a problem, but it's, it's simple math, but people are watching every day, mm-hmm. load going up, generation coming off and generation coming on. And th- those numbers have to match up. Mm-hmm. And I, I trust that the MISO regulators are doing that for us. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really confident they are now checking those numbers after what <laughs> happened in Texas. <laughs> I, it's a I, wake up call for every grid to, cause that's a logical question they're all getting. Can this happen here? And none of them want it to happen here. Because
0: something like five or six ERCOT board members have already resigned. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure everyone on every, everyone associated with anything having to do with regional grid grid operation or public service commissions is is stepping back and saying, what can we learn from this to make sure that we're not in the hot seat next? So I I actually think that that was kind of how I was hoping we would end the podcast for you and I to talk through what do we think that people should learn from this? What, what are the lessons that we're going to take away from this? Why don't, why don't, you want to go back and forth? Why don't you throw one out?
1: Um, not all your eggs in one basket. You know, there isn't one fuel supply that could have done this, got them through this, or caused this by itself. You have to have a diverse portfolio of power supply, and you have to spread it over a, a wide region, too. When you mm-hmm. spread it over 15 states, there's less chance of weather affecting that grid than there is when you... Uh, do it over one state, even if one state as big as Texas, Mm -hmm. diversity, diversity is key.
0: Yep. Diversity. We've said that so many times on this podcast and you've said it a lot in your managers columns. Um, Another thing, and we didn't uh, have a lot of time to talk about that, this in the podcast today, but one thing I thought watching this is there was such a communications failure. The there and I don't I'm not there so I can't say where that communications failure happened but you had all these people out in their homes who the only message they ever heard was we might have to turn you off for 45 minutes and then they heard nothing and I don't know that it was their utilities fault or if their utility wasn't getting information from the grid operators but somewhere there was a massive communications failure that failed to help people prepare for what to expect and I think it's some that's a lesson I think we all can learn to step back and say. We don't think this is going to happen in Michigan, but if it did, are we ready to make sure we can keep our members informed and at least help them know how to plan? Okay, do you have another one?
1: Yeah, the the whole backup power thing. Mm-hmm. Somehow you have to incentivize people to have generation in backup. You know, and whether it's natural gas or something else, you have to have a, a backup situation, and people have to be incentivized to to have it available.
0: Yep. And 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 it's hard sometimes to get uh, a lot of approval for what we'll call I don't not redundancy that's maybe it, but but you it just people say well we don't need it right this second but then when we do need it it's too late to start building it and so that's sure. that's part of that that knowing you have backup the other thought I had thinking thinking about lessons learned and we actually have seen this in Michigan is just realizing that the more natural gas we bring online for electric generation the increasing importance of having strong natural gas transmission um, infrastructure in the state. In the state of Michigan, we do have the ability to store natural gas. We have the right geological formations to store natural gas. I think those are discussions that need to be had um, because again, it was like here you have a natural gas plant that could be operating that can't because we can't get the natural gas to the plant. Any other any other takeaways for the from the experts in the room? Uh, they-
1: some people might say, well, people should put more solar panels on and get some batteries and, ha- and have battery backup. And, and that that's one option for people. But I think that the easiest option, and I've heard a couple people I know in Texas talk about it, and a couple other podcasts I've listened to is the easiest thing for a homeowner in Texas to do is to go out and buy a gas fired generator mm-hmm. uh, for their home. And you're going to see a lot of that going on in Texas. I don't think that's a great long-term solution, it's going to lead to more pollution and more issues but I think that's where the individual homeowner is going to go mm-hmm. he's going to run down to Home Depot and get a generator so he's ready next time
0: yep yep to get him through a couple days yeah yep well, I don't necessarily have any other takeaways because I think we've hit on the most important ones. We need to be making sure we're building things. We need to be making sure we have a diverse power supply. We need to be prepared to communicate and manage people's expectations. We need to have our supply chain locked in. And certainly if individual homeowners are going to, to, to do anything to back themselves up, uh, something like a generator. But any any other takeaways on your list?
1: Well, I read a Forbes magazine article that's just a po- something to consider. Renewable subsidies in Texas from 2006 to 2029 will equal $36 billion. Meanwhile, the final cost of the South Texas project, a twin reactor nuclear plant, came to $12.5 billion. So, yeah, I I don't mean to close this beating up on wind and solar, but it's something we need to consider when we, we look at the subsidies involved. And we can make the argument that wind and solar were not expected to pick up much of this polar vortex and they surely were not. But then look at the price for that energy and ask yourself, why isn't it? Why are we putting that much, those billions of dollars into two sources of generation that aren't capable of picking us up in times of high demand like we ran into? And that's again, back to the diversity of power. We can't put too many of our our eggs in a basket in our region or in any region that's not there at times of high demand, whether it's the winter or the summer. Mm -hmm. It's balance. We got to maintain balance. And I I just worry about getting out of balance with wind and solar and forgetting the traditional fuels that typically save the day and did save the day in Texas.
0: I I agree. And another thing I worry about, and we see this and even here, you know, when you have an outage, everyone's paying very close attention. But memories are very short, and that—that's an—that's another piece that I hope, or that I, I think, we need to attend to. Is while people are paying attention, let's have these conversations and get some momentum behind building what whatever it is, building some new, mm-hmm. generating assets. You know, shoring up our our transmission infrastructure. Connect connecting the Texas grid with other grids, <laughs> right? Like yeah. those those kinds of things. Let's don't wait until the next time because I, I did read an interesting article where ERCOT was um, quoted as saying like, yeah, this seems like it was bad, but we really believe we were within minutes of catastrophic months long blackouts. So in some ways they think it wasn't as bad as it could have been.
1: Actually four minutes and 37 seconds. They were, they were uh, at 59.3 Hertz for four minutes and some change, they could only do that for nine minutes before they would have had weeks long outages. And they began shedding load in time, but they were within, they were under five minutes Mm -hmm. from uh, a huge disaster. Yeah. Um, So like like every natural disaster, it could have been worse. And that's the case in Texas. It could have been worse. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think that the next steps for Texas, and then obviously, even though it wasn't, it wasn't we weren't impacted here in Michigan, but for us as we look long term, let's make sure that we do the things to make sure it's not worse and and um, and continue to support shoring up our grid and preparing for weather events.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we need to learn from this and move on, and I'm, I'm confident every grid manager in the country will learn something from this.
0: And they're definitely paying attention. Well, hey, thank you for joining me to talk about this. I know it's kind of, you know, those those people up in the cold weather Michigan talking about Texas, but I, I, I think it's important to remember that what happens in Texas can, I mean, we're, we're all part of grids that look very similar. And so there are always lessons to learn from, from someone else's experience in order to make sure that we're doing everything we can to, to give our members good service here.
1: And I've, I've gotten more questions about could this happen here than I ever have on, on any other national situation. So yeah, this is very timely. Hope people enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Thank you.